got uh, Dean Blair, uh, Resident Authorised Financial Advisor. Hey Rob, it's uh, nice to be here and welcome everyone to the Money Lounge podcast. So in this episode today we wanted to talk about paying yourself first. Um, it's one of the key topics I think actually number one in the Money Lounge ebook is. Um, top tip number one, pay yourself first. So I'd like to discuss that a little bit deeper today and get your thoughts on um, how to implement it, what the key strategies are, and and why it's really so important. Okay, sure, Rob. So I suppose it's where do we start, but probably at the beginning, if I want to be cheesy about it. So pay yourself first. What we mean there is systematically, uh, whether your pay cycle might be weekly, fortnightly, or monthly, is putting some money away first into something earmarked for the long term so it's saving first before we spend and it's an allocated amount that goes into an account okay so when you say in line with your pay cycle do generally if you were to get paid weekly fortnightly or monthly is it important to to take those funds away right there and then I believe so, yes. I, I think starting that habit is a good idea. And, you know, for a lot of people, especially in New Zealand, um, Kiwi savers take in a way, you know, it's removed before we get paid. And it's very similar to any other sorts of superannuation match saving schemes globally. So it, it's creating that where it's almost like before our income has even hit our bank account, that some money has already been put away to save for the long term. So is that why you think they're so effective is because it's kind of that automatic discipline to save immediately as you get paid? Yes, absolutely. And after some time, it's like any habit, after six months or so, we kind of forget it's even happening. It just becomes this automatic thing that occurs. And I think it's important initially is you need to work out how much you can actually put away to save because paying yourself first is great and it can really work. But if we don't understand what that amount should be or could be or needs to be, then that's where things can get a little bit less effective. And how would you go about finding out how much you can save? Because I think, I mean, for me personally, if I see funds in my bank account, I'll more than likely spend it. Um, so is there a way to kind of dig a little bit deeper into how much is possible to, to save? Yes, it's, it's about doing, doing an audit, I call it. You know, um, you can talk about a budget, but a budget is what people intend to spend, um, which budgets aren't typically very effective for, for people's personal lives. So an audit is about let's say we sit down and we actually really carefully go back over what did we spend over the last three months um, on average. So we go away and we do an audit of April, May, June. Where did all our money go? A good thorough audit, you know, line by line, where did all the money go? <clears throat> then we'll get an idea of what our general expenses are on average. So if we look at those three months independently, um, add them all together, divide it by three, 
then you get an average of what your monthly uh, expenses are to run your life or your household, whatever it may be. And there's typically a surplus. And it's looking at what is that surplus, looking at some areas where we might be able to reduce our spend, because often we all spend more than we probably intended to or realised we did. So once we've established that baseline, what that surplus is and where there's some room to reduce the spend, start a little bit lower. And let's say hypothetically, we have a fortnightly pay cycle we have done our audit and there should be around $350 a fortnight surplus left over. Don't straight away allocate the $350 surplus to the save account or the saving bucket. Maybe start it at $200 and then over the next couple of months monitor that, see how it's going and then slowly bring it up. When people nominate the full 350 and they have a couple of tighter months or a couple of things come up, they'll then need to take some money out of that savings bucket where they've paid themselves first to help support their lifestyle. Then unconsciously they now think, oh, well, that doesn't work. I'm not going to do that anymore because it didn't work. You've almost set yourself up to fail if you try to save the full surplus. That's right, yes. So it's start a little bit lower and then build it up. Over time, yeah. So the audit, you said, I mean, at this time of year, April, May, June, we're in winter, um, expenses change quite a lot. I mean, for example, electricity with heating the house or extra gas if you've got a gas heating system. How often should you be going back and doing that audit? Uh, I don't think you need to be doing it too often because, yes, there's some unusual expenses in winter due to, as you've talked about, the heating costs. But I think as we go into summer and we're feeling more invigorated and more likely to get out and about and, and want to do more, I think other expenses start to increase in the summer. We might go out and do more activities. Um, we might enjoy sort of some outdoors things more, which can sometimes mean they cost a little bit more. So I think it can be quite relative, but it doesn't hurt to do it a couple of times a year based on the seasons. But if you want to do it really thoroughly, you do a 12-month audit. You go back meticulously over the last 12 months. And that way you will get a true average. Okay, so rather than doing a, sh a shorter term audit, you'd go back and look at, say, 12 months worth of data, what you spent for Christmas, birthday presents, holidays, that type of thing, and then try to average that out across the year. That's right. That's correct, yes. Because you'll, you'll, be, you'll see the trends. We're, we're pretty habitual. We have those trends, unless we've made a significant change to our lifestyles. You talked about that expenses breakdown there. Could Not all expenses are kind of set in stone. So we know what, if we've got a loan on our car, we know what that cost is going to be or our mortgage expense for the month or, or the week or the fortnight, however it's broken down. But what about things like groceries or the flexible expenses that aren't exactly set in stone and, and are likely to change per week? I guess if you do the longer audit, 
that's going to give you more of a, a rolling average rather than a more speculative, or oh, this is what we expect to spend a week. Yes. Yes, and I think what people could consider, and we've talked about it in the ebook, is what are our fixed expenses, what are our variable expenses, and then what are our lifestyle expenses. So fixed expenses, that's it. It's um, mortgage or rent. Uh, internet is typically fixed. Um, those direct debits, where the direct debit is set at an amount based on what we have to pay each month or cycle, typically monthly. So they're our fixed expenses, and we know what they are. They very rarely change much. Variable expenses comes into, yes, our food, um, haircuts and day-to-day -day things, um, our food and our groceries. So we can pretty much, if you do a full month, a full year's audit, you can get a pretty good feel for what those variable expenses are on average over a year. Then it's important to identify the lifestyle expenses because the lifestyle expenses are the things we're doing by choice or by want. So that's typically the areas where we can start to make some changes if we if we discover we need to find some money for some milestones or goals or different things. Same with the variable expenses though, you know, groceries is a really interesting one. Um, you know, what, what's our cycle around going and buying our groceries and going to the supermarket? Are we going in and out every day or every couple of days to the supermarket? Or are we making a list and going in once and only getting what we actually need for the household for the week? Another, you know, they're the, again areas where we can actually really reduce our costs to allow us to have more free cash flow, I call it. It doesn't matter how we label those expenses, though, really, does it? So, for example, if I classify a haircut as being a variable expense because I, I can predict when it's coming versus it being a lifestyle expense, um, it doesn't really matter, does it, where we categorize these different types of expenses. Rather, it's better that we actually have them down on the audit to know that they're coming in advance. Yes, that's it. Don't get hung up on the label of them. Um, it's just having the ability to look at them and go, okay, well, maybe that's maybe that's an expense we could reduce or we didn't need that month. And that's probably more around sort of the, inter you know, not so much the heck, but could be more around the entertainment type things, um, the takeaways, the going out, where we know you know, we could reduce those things to allow us to have some more free cash flow to start allocating to other areas. And is there an area that you would typically suggest uh, to cut back on? Or is it more a personality thing? Say like lifestyle expenses. Recently, I've done a 30-day yoga challenge and I would probably consider that more of a lifestyle expense rather than a variable. Um, is there an area that we should look at cutting back on if we wanted to increase the surplus? Uh, it's, I think it's, it's an individual thing. Um, what we know is when someone does that thorough audit and they're looking at that audit line by line of where the money has gone, 
they know themselves the areas that are the surprise or yeah. wow, we didn't really know we spent that much there or had to give up. So no, no, probably the only time where I would start giving some advice or some recommendations is when there's a situation of potentially some high interest debt. So with that high interest debt, maybe it's a focus first of getting rid of that because it's costing us, if we're not making um, structured and deliberate payments rather than paying the minimums to try and keep things from getting worse, uh, I think that's that's where there's a real opportunity to go, okay, I need to give up a whole lot of things to make sure I get rid of this issue. And then there's some real freedom about that because you've then freed up more free cash flow, more money to start allocating to paying yourself first or um, a milestone or a goal. So it's kind of about prioritizing which is more important at the time. So if that's debt reduction rather than trying to accumulate money for savings, is that right? That's correct, yeah. How can we measure if we're paying ourselves first or not? Well, it's by having that um, that bucket or that account set up and measuring how that's growing. But you know, you don't want to be looking at it every day. And the other way is just looking at our overall net worth position, but that can be, you know, I think it's better just to look at that individual bucket that we've created or account where we're putting the money away and monitoring how that's growing. And it's like anything, you know, like your yoga challenge, you probably set yourself a goal by doing that. So it might be saying, my paying myself first in this first 12 months, my goal is by the end of this year to have $10,000 in that account. So it's reverse engineer it over the next 12 months, divide the 10,000 by 12. This is the amount I need to be putting into that account every week or fortnight or month. Um, and then tracking how we're going to that goal. Because it's important to be flexible there too, isn't it? To say, um, for me to say to myself that I couldn't do that challenge. Um, I think would make me spend more money on maybe groceries or lifestyle expenses like eating out or alcohol, for example. Um, you need to be flexible to say, if I'm going to do a yoga challenge, I'll probably be more likely to want to spend money on a green juice at the same time. So uh, as well as now paying for the challenge, I've got an extra expense or a different expense there on groceries or that those lifestyle expenses. That, that's correct, yes. And, and that's why it's often an individual thing. I can't sit there and tell people what changes they have to make because it is quite an individual um, scenario. We're all different and unique. And they'll really be in line with your goals, won't they? So if you've set goals for the next six months or 12 months or maybe two to five years, you'll know that these things are coming um, and it might be a good way to be able to budget for them in advance. That's right, yes. It's a really key point that you've just made there. Um, we know with our 12-year-old daughter, Madison, she has a very a very powerful goal or, or a goal that was determined by her. She has a time frame for that goal. Therefore, she's quite motivated to be doing different things for us around the house so she can learn to save towards that goal. Slightly different scenario to what we're talking about, but my example is, 
having real clarity of what that goal is. What is the objective that you're trying to achieve? Yeah. And then once you've completed that goal, having another goal to be able to keep you on track or keep you motivated um, and having something to focus towards. That's right. That, that's the really important thing because that allows us to make those better decisions because there's a reason to be making the decision or the change. How can we systematically save? You talked about your bucket system before. Um, could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Maybe a little bit more detail on um, whether it's different bank accounts or whether we hold them um, in different funds, for example, um, and how you break them up. Maybe it's into the three categories of fixed, variable, and lifestyle, or what are the specifics? Okay, so the, there's several specifics there. So first one, yes, it, it can be well worthwhile having a fixed expense account, a variable expense account, bank accounts, and a reserve or a savings bucket bank account. And that can be as simple as automating. So the fixed expense account, we know what those expenses are each month. That account fills up and empties. It serves its function. The variable expense account, we know roughly what is required in that account or that bucket every month. So we put a little bit extra in so we know that that one's always automated and we know which bucket we're using for those things we've determined to be our variable expenses. Then we might have our holiday account because we've decided and agreed that in 18 months we're going away for a bit of a trip or a holiday. We know our timeline, we know how much we need. So every pay cycle, we need X amount of money going into that bank account or bucket. Our reserve bucket, we've agreed that we need four months worth of expenses. We've done our audit, we know what our expenses are. So we fill that bucket up to get it to that four months worth of expenses. But the next thing we could be considering is with current interest rates, having our reserve bucket and our savings bucket sitting in a normal bank account or a high interest bank account, which don't really exist anymore, isn't the best place for it. So we could start to say, well, maybe for my reserve fund and my medium to long term savings bucket, which could be a, a new car or, or an extended holiday overseas, <clears throat> where we need a fairly substantial amount of money, that could be a diversified managed fund rather than a bank account because it's going to, the money's going to work harder for us. But without exposing it to a higher you know, a volatile fund like the growth fund, it could be more of a moderate, conserved, conservative moderate fund where the timeline is appropriate to the goal or the milestone. So making sure you've got the appropriate accounts there set up in the different categories, there's always different options of where that money is held or invested um, to maybe potentially get yourself a little bit of a higher return or, or have your money work, working for you while you've got it sitting there in, in the reserves. That, that's correct, yes. yes. So it's, and hey, it, it's sometimes in, for the types of structures and when it starts getting this sophisticated, you might need some advice. You might need to talk to someone that's qualified to assist you to do that. Previously, you touched on having a holiday or the goal accounts there. Are they 
would they be separate to the fixed variable and lifestyle accounts? So could you end up with multiple accounts, maybe six or seven different ones for different goals as well? Um, or would they all fall under the lifestyle account? That's, again, I, I think that's an individual thing. I, I, you know, in some scenarios, yes, multiple accounts works really well for people, actually having individual accounts for each of those things. Uh, for other people, they find that gets confusing and creates complexity. <clears throat> so it's identifying what works for you is the important thing. Okay, and kind of tailoring it to your own personality. Um, and what, I guess, coming back to what you said before, it's all about habits. So if you can quite easily form habits to save, um, then we might have different saving mechanisms based on your personality. Um, or, you know, whether we find it really hard to save before we spend, we might want to kind of lock that money away quite quickly as soon as we get paid and then spend whatever's left over. That, that's it, yes. And... In some cases, the reserve, if we've created that habit where the money, where we've automated things, it's working well for us and the habit is locked in. We're able to now live our lives and have our lifestyle really easily with that automation occurring. We know that if we did have to use some of our reserve funds, or we might even have called it our reserve opportunity fund, if we have used some, we know that we can rebuild it again because we've created that habit and we're able to, to accumulate into it. On the flip side of that is once our reserve fund is completed, it's built up to where it needs to be, i.e. that four months worth of expenses, you now have some additional money available to start putting or allocating to your milestones or goals accounts. So you've got to remember that that's not there forever, that amount going into that account. Once it's built up, you're able now to divert that money to somewhere else. And it will just save you on interest if you're going into debt or that type of thing. So you end up potentially getting more money than what you had before or more of a surplus than what you had before if you've paid down your debt and you've got this cash reserve sitting there waiting for you. Yes, and if you have a mortgage, then it's about a mortgage repayment strategy because over the 30-year time frame, we know that if you're able to pay extra on that mortgage, you're going to save yourselves an incredible amount of interest in the long term on that mortgage or build the equity up, um, which then allows you to maybe leverage off your property if that's something you'd like to do in the future. And that ties in with your net worth position too, doesn't it? So. I guess your net worth is worth more if you're paying more on your mortgage. But what is a net worth and how does this cash reserve fit into the net worth position? Uh, so the net worth position is assets less liabilities. So it's about listing down everything you own, including your cash and your savings, and then deducting everything you owe, so any debt you have. And the... You know, the balance at the bottom gives you on paper your net worth position at that time. Yeah, I think Robert Kiyosaki in his book, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, calls it a different name, but he calls it a balance sheet. Um, and he's got some very, very simple diagrams in there about how to calculate your net worth um, and also, you know, how important it is to 
regularly monitor your income statements. So knowing exactly how much money you've got coming out, um, knowing exactly how much you've got coming in, um, and then trying to you know accumulate or grow that net worth position over time. I think it's a really good read. Um, if any of our listeners have got the time to pick up that book, it's Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I know that book's had quite a big influence on you as well, hasn't it, Dean? Yes, it has. Yeah, and, and I agree. I highly recommend the book. I think mm-hmm. it's well worth it. And uh, yeah, some of those diagrams in there are really worthwhile. It will be really beneficial to be able to implement into your life. Yeah, it's a very simple way of, a very simple diagram to try to understand such a complex, no, it's not, I guess, it is a complex issue, but it's just a way to kind of make it very simple and easy to read. Yes, I, I think it can feel com- complex and people listening to this might think, oh my gosh, there's so much I have to be doing here. I think the book's really useful, yes, because it will allow you to just slowly, and don't, just don't try to do everything at once, just work your way through and do things. So these are really the key kind of financial cash control aspects to a financial plan, aren't they? That, you know, setting up your reserve fund and then systematically paying yourself first. Um, It's all about the cash control and creating those good habits and and hopefully they can carry you on into the future. Yes, and it's important to build up that cash reserve before you start investing because investments are typically for a long time frame. And unless you have cash reserves, you could have to break into those long-term savings if something unexpected comes along. So I think that sums it up quite well, actually, um, paying yourself first. So it's really about going back and doing the audit to make sure we know exactly where our money's going, um, tying that in line with our goals to make sure where our money's going is where we want it to go in the future and kind of taking a step back and looking maybe 12 months or two to five years in advance and saying, is what I'm doing right now relevant for where I want to be in the next five years? Yes, that's, that's correct. Yeah. Cause that's quite an important step, isn't it? To be able to change your habits. You really need something to motivate you. Yes. Yes, you do. It's, you know, lots of people, January of each year have really good intentions around getting fit, saving more money, um, eating better, drinking less. Uh, And it's very easy to sign up to a gym membership, but really hard to go through with that. It can often turn into a donation, I call it, because the intent was initially there, but was the goal of the desire strong enough to actually get this into our daily lifestyle habit? I guess that's the important part, isn't it? When you sit there on at the start of January and set your goals for the year, you're kind of sitting there in a space of contentment. You're on holiday, quite relaxed. All of those, the the normal pressures that you have aren't pounding down on you like usual. Um, We set these goals such as going to the gym or taking a family holiday or spending more time with the kids. Um, And it can quite quickly fade away. Uh, once reality sets back in and we're back at work. Yes, life gets in the way, as I call it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I guess to sum it up, Dean, once again, it's, it's all about doing that audit and, audit and going back three to four months, making sure you know where your money's going, finding out what your surplus is, or knowing what you'll be able to allocate into um, 
either your goal accounts into your reserve fund or um, into, I guess, investments or maybe spending on lifestyle expenses. Um, you did touch on automation and how does the automation work? Uh, the automation is we've done our audit. We know what we need in the variable account, fixed expense account, savings account, reserve account. So it's just setting up APs. We have a distribution account. Our income comes into, say, our current account. We then just set up the AP, the automatic payment, and the money just automatically goes across into those accounts. Rather than moving money manually on a regular basis, you know, logging in and shifting money constantly, it's it's better, I believe, to just automate it and set it up and then go and live your life and have fun. Life won't get in the way then, as I call it, where those things may not be occurring because you might forget to manually go in and make that transaction or move that money. And we also touch on that on the ebook as well. So I think it's tip number three um, is automating your spending. So if you wanted a copy of that ebook um, for free, head on over to moneylounge.co slash sign up um, and you can download it there um, with no worries at all. Well, um, thanks for your time, Dean. Was there anything else you wanted to add in this particular podcast around that paying yourself first? Uh, what I would add is um, just go and do it. <laughs> <laughs> Grab the ebook. Um, Rob's let you know where you can find it. And then if you need any help, feel free to reach out to us. We'd be happy, happy to try and assist. Perfect. And I also wanted to say thanks, Dean. Um, your last podcast when we talked about the cash reserve really sparked uh, a, quite a decent conversation between myself and my wife. Um, so it is really, really helpful information. Um, and I hope that our listeners find it that way as well. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Rob. Great. Thanks, Dean.